This is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. Hello everyone, it's Michael, also known as Chicago Wiz, and welcome to episode 46 and a half, where we continue the discussion on talking about being able to make the rules your own. I'd like to thank Daniel Norton of Bandits Keep and Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast for the call-ins, and uh, we'll get to those. Um, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all of you who are listening I hope if you celebrate that you are having a wonderful weekend. We're currently still in the middle of our big chill here, just starting to come out of it on Christmas Eve, but uh, it's been a challenging couple of days. I've been working hard on my Dungeon 23, uh, getting ready to start play soon, so um, I'll be looking for players soon. Anyway, let's get to those call-ins, and here we go. Hey, Michael. This is Daniel from Bandits Keep calling in. So <laughs> I'm glad to hear you back on the air. It was funny. I, I kind of giggled a little bit when you said that you were doing the uh, Dungeon 23 uh, thing partially because of the notebooks. And then I looked at the notebook and now I must have one. <laughs> They're so cool. <laughs> but uh, I'm more calling in because of the uh, the idea you're talking about the rules and like changing the rules. Of course, I 100% agree with you. I wonder though, I don't know so much that it's the system, but maybe the mindset of players and maybe how people are learning to play these days. And, and I say that because if you jump into an OSE group, which is BX, right, you get the same kind of questions and the same kind of thing. They're looking for an answer. And I mean, honestly, that's where AD&D came from, right? People looking for an answer. I think when you move away from the war gamers, oops, going to be two messages, and you get to just gamers in general, right? I mean, sure, people did house rule on some level Monopoly or life, or the game of life, or whatever. But for the most part, people just followed those rules. So I wonder if you're coming from a position where you're not used to doing that. And as you say, the rules don't tell you to do it explicitly, which really, after the, the little brown books, they don't, right? AD&D kind of tells you to not change it. Although uh, BX tells you to change the rules. I don't know. I mean, I just think that it's interesting. But, uh, you know, as far as the traps thing goes, you know, 5e does have those things in there. I think people just aren't reading the rules. If the players are making an extra effort with the 10-foot poles like you're describing, that's what advantage is. You would have the advantage on the check to find the trap. There, There is a rule in there for players to make the deal. And, and the books do say, you know, modify chances and stuff based on what the players do, and they don't even have to roll if it's obvious they'll succeed. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for the calls. Uh, yeah, the notebook has turned out to be very cool. Um, as I've described before, the Teco notebook that I have is a calendar with a grid on it, and the grid is a 7x6 grid, which I've done 23. 24 days now worth of entries and I have almost 60 rooms and I still have, you know, what, six days to go, seven days to go. So, uh, yeah, the notebook is really cool. It's, it's ending up being one of the neatest little, uh, dungeon, 
sketchbooks that I've ever had, and <laughs> I've gone through a few in my life. Um, with regards to um, having examples and, and learning how to play, I, you know, I agree with you. I think that another thing along with, you know, um, uh, being able to be encouraged by the rules is also coming into the game of having a mindset of feeling the freedom to make the game your own, or maybe even a desire to make it your own. And I was thinking about it, and I think video game modding is also a way that a lot of people express that desire for making the game your own. You know, like when I sit down with Skyrim or uh, most recently Mass Effect, I played it through the first couple of times, you know, stock. And then I'm like, well, what if I did this? Or I wonder if I can change something about the game. And I went out and sought mods. And, you know, these are people that have looked at these games and said, I want to make something different. I want to make this my own. And I, I think, and I'm going to get into this a little bit later with with another answer, but I think that the rule set has to present itself in such a way that you either feel the need to do that or you feel like it's possible. You feel that call for freedom. Um, and, and I think um, OD&D especially provided that for, for very specific reasons. But I think, you know, yes, if the rules start out and they say, hey, this is something that you can do, whether explicitly or by the way the rules are laid out, I think you'll see that versus a game where it feels complete. You know, AD&D and the other editions have been pretty explicit that everything is here that you need to play. Well, yeah, you can change it if you want, but you don't need to because here's all of these options. And away you go into someone else's view of what a fantasy world should be. I don't know if I like that so much. One of the things that I often say, sorry, I'm sending so many messages, is that the basic expert books, the Mulvey basic expert, are some of the best ways to learn D&D. And if you look at OSC, for instance, which is beautiful, don't get me wrong, it more or less tells you to read blogs or watch actual plays to learn how to play where BX gives you an example of play. And in those examples of play, you actually have the DM making house rules. There's actually things in there that are not exactly the way the rules are supposed to work. For instance, allowing somebody to shoot an arrow you know, during the movement phase because they already had it ready. That's not in the rules, right? But if you read that example of play, you get that spirit from it. And I think that's something that we're missing. I think more examples of play would help a lot in these game systems, no matter if they're OSR games or 5e or whatever. But I, I do think that's it. If you don't have examples to see how you might modify the rules, I think people have trouble even understanding how they would do it. So I'm glad you're back on the air. I'm getting cut off again. Talk yeah, Dan, very good thoughts. Um, in terms of examples to play, OD&D didn't really supply that as much as other games did. And again, I think that was the culture at the time that the rules were written and, and a reflection of the culture that the authors are coming from. Uh, war gamers at the time tended to form into groups and these groups would teach each other how to play. 
not too dissimilar to how we do it today. You know, friends get together and they form, you know, their little cliques and they show each other how to play or they fall into finding a group of D&Ders who know how to play and they learn that way. Um, there is certainly a lot more examples now, um, you know, on, on the on the web and on the internet and, you know, I mean, in YouTube and, and live streaming and all of that. Um, there's definitely, uh, you know, a lot more out there, but I still think by and large, you learn the most when you get into that, you know, fall into that group and, and you kind of get that one-on-one, -on -one, uh, examples. Um, I think examples always help in the rules though. Um, when I wrote the quick start for Swords and Wizardry, I really concentrated on the DM and being able to give them examples, sometimes, you know, section by section and topic by topic of, hey, here's some things to think about. Here's here's some, uh, you know, a lot of handholding, if you will. And, and I think that rules that do that set the stage for success. So whether it's a big example of playthrough or just, you know, a, here's how to do this and here's some suggestions on how to do this, you know. Thinking into, though, whether the rules should be complete and to themselves and, and why people tend to gravitate towards using the rules as they are rather than maybe a more do-it-yourself approach, I think has a lot to do with the fact that it's easier just to take something and run with it. Tweak a little bit, you know, but, and I think TSR and the other RPG publishers figured this out early on and have continued to this day to where, you know, most people, uh, you know, just want to play. And they're going to jump into something and then they're going to be, you know, look, I'm official. I play D&D. You know, I've got my character this way and, and here's all of the things and all of the features and whatnot. You know, I, I listened to my um, daughter go on about, you know, all of the different options that they have, but it's there in the rules and it's just, I don't know. I... I Maybe it's the difference of me. I like things more organic. I like things that can develop either out of play or out of people's imaginations rather than flipping through a book and trying to find out, you know, what feature can I build my character into? Personal note, personal log, I tend to not like those kinds of things spelled out. And, and I'm sitting here talking about it, and I think I really am more of an organic growth. I like things to kind of come out naturally, you know? If I'm playing a cleric and my cleric, you know, really concentrates on diseases, I'd like to think that perhaps me and the DM can come to some understanding that maybe I've got a spell or a prayer or some way of being able to detect disease and be able to figure it out rather than having to look up, you know, a feature and maybe it doesn't do what I want and, 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 and so on. Is the end result the same? Probably. But here again, if I'm going by the rules... 
that's kind of locked into the setting that they have. Whereas if it, if I'm growing it organically, it's more of a reflection of the setting in the world I'm playing in. I don't know. We're probably splitting hairs here. And at the end of the day, really, it doesn't matter. Y'all are going to play the game you want. And that's awesome. And I'm going to play the game I want. And that's awesome. It's just kind of sometimes fun to look under the covers and see what's really going on. Hey, Jason here. Just listen up. Think you're you're right there. I'm glad you're getting your mojo back, your your gaming mojo. The the way I've come to look at it these days, because I do, you know, I've got fond memories, nostalgic memories of AD&D from, you know, playing as kids. But, you, you know, these days, OD&D to me is the game to hack. I, I, I realize you can make anything your own. But to me, OD&D is really the game that's, that, that, that is the game to mold into your own. And AD&D these days... I found a group I play with every Friday night, and we like to play it. Try to play it rules as written. Try, right? And and it's just the the challenge of trying to play it rules as written and flipping through the books and the nostalgia of it is fun. That's not the way everybody should play it by any means. But, you know, we have fun doing that. But I also think the idea of, of hacking OD&D to be exactly what you want is also very cool. Yep. Hi, Jason. Thanks for the uh, comments. Um, funny enough, I have an old version of the uh, Swords and Wizardry white box. Uh, Swords and Wizardry, for those of you who may not know, is a uh, quote-unquote retro clone of OD&D, original 1974 D&D, and the supplements. Um, Swords and Wizardry white box was a um, retro clone of the three little brown books, the original three books that came out. I have that saved as a Word document so that anytime I want to, I can just go back and uh, grab that document and come up with something. And I, and I even have it titled White Box Toolbook or Toolkit. Um, what makes it so easy for OD&D to hack? I thought about that, and, and I think there's a couple of different reasons. OD&D is a skeleton. Um, it gives you just enough to do something, but if you really want to do a lot, you kind of have to build your own. And, and I think that this is a reflection on, you know, Gary and David and, and the others didn't really know what they were doing. They had this idea, they had this approach to a game, but they didn't have the time to really flesh it out. You know, there was only a handful of players, you know, maybe a couple of dozen max that had played this game before the rules were published. So, of course, it was going to be a skeleton. And, of course, it was going to be something that you had to build on because that's what it was. And it's interesting because if you grab Supplement 1 and Supplement 2, Greyhawk and Blackmore, which, you know, Greyhawk being Gary Gygax's campaign and Blackmore being uh, David Arneson's campaign, you start to see that already, you know. These are booklets that had as many pages as, you know, each of the, you know, like, um, you know, Volume 1, Volume 2, or, or Volume 3. There was a lot of pages in there of just information geared towards extensions of the rules, enhancements, and additions based on their own campaigns. So you're already kind of seeing that they were taking the skeleton 
and building on top of it and you, you know you go to later you know empire of the petal throne very much like that um you know you look at um holmes basic which took a lot of the ideas that uh, Dr. Holmes had taken from his readings of OD&D and making his own game out of it. Um, you know, so I, I think because by the nature of the skeleton and that it was new and they didn't have a lot, I think that's why we all, or not we all, but those of us that, that tend to make our own rules and use OD&D find it so easy because it's a great starting point. The other thing that's interesting is is a reflection of the time, you know, late 60s, early 70s. It really was an era of anything is possible. You know, we were coming out of the Vietnam War, but there was still kind of a, a sense of optimism that we were going to learn lessons and we were, you know, computers were coming out and space travel was happening and we had gone to the moon and, you know, there was just this sense of anything was possible and we could explore things and I'm not going to get into the drug culture and all that which helped to add to that but you know there really was a sense of let's go to places we hadn't been before and I think OD&D kind of reflected that it was so new it was so different that the text would just kind of pulls you in and says hey think about this and make it your own and you know here we are you know nearly 50 years later, and it's still working its magic. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Dan and Jason, for your call-ins. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to kind of yak a little bit more about one of my favorite subjects. Um, again, to all of you listening, please have a safe and happy Merry Christmas. And if I don't talk to you before then, have a happy New Year, May 2023, bring you great health, prosperity, and lots of gaming. And on that note, game on.